We're in the book of Exodus, and we're going to be taking chapter 6, and yes, the first 13 verses of chapter 7. So hang on. It's, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to do my best to get through this. And we did it. We did it in the first service. So I, I, we'll, we'll see what the Lord's going to do. Father, we again thank you and praise you um, for this morning, Lord. And we just uh, open up your word. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts, uh, speak to us individually. We want to be changed. We want our minds transformed. We want to be uh, moved into your image, into your direction, Lord, not our own, not the way the world would like us to be and like and see, be like, but we want to be like you. Uh, so we want to learn of you and, uh, and, and hold on to what you have for us this morning uh, through and by your word. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, as you illuminate your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. So as we take a look at the scriptures, I'm going to let you and remind you of what happened in chapter 5 real quick. Because it sets the stage of what is going to happen here in chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9. It's going to play out here. So we remember if Moses, when Moses and Aaron first stepped out by faith in obedience to God... To begin the work of the calling that God called him to do to go to Egypt to free their, his people out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. So they heard from God. They knew his calling. They knew what his commandment was. They knew exactly what to do. He laid it out, what to say, and how to prove it to Pharaoh and the Israelites of that God is involved with this. He, this is, he's in this. It's, it's his plan. There was no question at all if this is God or not. And because of that, they took a step and they went to the Israelites. And if you remember in the end of chapter 4, verse 31, you remember what happened when they heard what God said, uh, what God said through Moses and Aaron. They worshipped. They were broken. They were just worshipping God and they said, yes. God is here. He hasn't forgotten us after 430 years. He's come back for us. We're leaving this place. Get really excited. But what happened? Well, he went to Pharaoh. And when they went to Pharaoh and said, let, let my people go. They want to go out three days. We want to worship God out here in the desert for a three-day journey out. Now, there was no talk about returning, did he? Because <laughs> they had no intention of returning back to Egypt. And he must have gotten, and he kind of said, no, this doesn't sound jiggy to me, so I, I'm sure there's something not right. And he says no, and he's not going to let this happen, and he's not going to let the people go. So the very first thing that Moses came up upon, his first problem, doing what God called him to do, and was obedient to do it, and equipped him to do it, he came, his first problem, that was with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, absolutely not, this is not happening, they're not going anywhere. But that didn't stop. Pharaoh, remember, turned around and caused and heaped on more troublesome issues on the people of Israel and caused them to what? You must work harder with less and you're going to meet the same quota and you have to go do all the work. No one's going to provide you the straw. Remember that. But there was a second problem for Moses. Not only was Pharaoh was the first problem, but the second problem was his own people that he was supposed to go free. The people who were just earlier, the first time, was worshiping him. Now because Pharaoh turned on him, they turned on now Moses. 
Now you got the, the, the Jewish people turning on Moses himself for causing all of this trouble upon them. Now Moses gets a, this, this hint of what his life is going to be like for the next 40 years. Do you know that? Because Moses gets a sampling and a preparation of God by God testing him by this criticism and rebellion that will he is experiencing now, this will be the same criticism and rebellion that people will cause him in the, in the desert for 40 years as well. So he's getting a sampling of what's going to happen. Now, it's not easy to be in the ministry. It's not easy to be in the calling of a father or a, a mother or a husband and wife as parents or, or as a pastor or as a, a person, you're, 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 whatever capacity you're serving in the church and out It is not easy, is it? Because what we found in the ministry is that often the people you help the most... The one you are there in the critical moments of their life. The one that you're, you're up at 3 o'clock rushing to the hospital. You're, doing, you're trying to save their marriage. Whatever it is. The child is absolutely is as sick as can be. And mom is right there to ca take care of him. It's that same teenager that is the most rebellious against you. It's those same people you devote to and you go out of your way to help and pour into their lives. They're the most unappreciative person of all people and they'll actually even leave the ministry after you help them. It's amazing how that works. But that's how it works. But does that stop us from caring for that child? No. Does that stop us from of continuing to minister to someone in that ministry that God's called you to do? No, you still do it. Why? Because it's not about you. We are to die of ourselves. John 3.30, actually. God must increase, and we must what? Decrease. So we don't do it for the people. We do it through the people because God put a love on our hearts to minister to those people, regardless of how they respond. As a parent, you, you love your children regardless of how they respond or don't respond or don't make calls, don't call you on Sunday. No, kidding. We'll go with that. We'll go on. So anyway, so going into, you know, the first problem was with Pharaoh, second problem with his own, the own, their own people, and now Moses also had a third problem. Third problem was with the Lord himself. We saw that at the end of chapter 5. God promised success, but Moses had failed. Even the Jews didn't even believe Moses. This is not working out the way he, they thought it was going to work. Because he had stopped to forget that God said, I'm going to send you Moses and Aaron, but Pharaoh is going to reject you. They're not, he's not going to heed what you have to say. So this is not going to go smoothly. But how quickly sometimes... We assumed everything was going to go smoothly because we're in the call of God and the will of God and doing what he's called us to do. And we think it's going to go just so smoothly and it doesn't work out that way. But we have to be encouraged. The one we serve is called I am. And I am will do his will in and through your life. That's why I called it today, I am and I will. Because we're going to see I will played out in God's voice here of all these seven I wills uh, as we take and we continue. So verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see that I will do to Pharaoh. 
For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his, of his land. So again, the Lord speaking to Moses, telling Moses again, reminding him exactly what he already told him earlier what would happen, that he is in this, it's his will, and you just have to, by faith, trust me, because I am and I will do what I told you that I was going to do, regardless of how you feel. Regardless of the situation at hand, it's going to happen. And so I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and I will do to Pharaoh. Notice that. Moses doesn't have to do it. He says, watch, Moses, what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. With a strong hand, so strong, such a heavy hand on this man, Pharaoh, he will drive my people out. If he had the ability to take two to three million people and pile them into a bus and drive them into the desert, he would do it. Because he he's going to want them to get them out of there. Why? Because as we get to the plagues, as you know the plagues, you'll see the heavy hand of God coming upon uh, this man in, this, in, the, in, the, in his country. But at this point, notice where the head, where the head is of Moses. He's completely discouraged. He, I, he just did the call, what God called him to do. He did it exactly the way God told him to do it, and it failed. He felt like a failure. He felt like this is not going well. And he needed the encouragement from God to say that this is what God still wanted him to do. And that's what we'll see here in these first uh, eight to nine verses. God actually encouraging Pharaoh to continue to do what he's called him to do regardless of how he's feeling at that moment in time. But notice in verse 2, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So we see here in these few verses here that the Lord is now comforting and reassuring Moses of the call that God has on his life in the ministry. He says, I'm in control. I am the Lord here. I'm in control. And I'm going to take you as a messenger that I have called you. I've already said once in verse 1, you notice how the Lord has spoke to him. Here in verse 2, you see that the Lord speaks to him again. So he's coming back. He's reemphasizing again a second time that he is the messenger for God and that God is going to do the heavy work and the heavy correction on Pharaoh. All he has to do is just speak in the name of God. That's all he has to do. Just speak God's words. It's just like us reaching the laws. You don't save a person. You don't change your heart. You can't change the heart of a person. All you can do is live for God and be obedient and say the words of God that God gives you to say to that person. And let God do the work. He's the one that saves. We just have to be an example of a child of God living for God. That's the most important. 
So we see here that he says, I am the Lord. It means the great name of God of Yahweh. He confirmed that he is Yahweh. The God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, that God. The same God that the entire nation of Israel has been following. The power of the almighty God, the creation of the universe. Almighty God. And that's how he revealed, God had revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But notice in the scriptures here that he's now going to reveal to Moses another in-depth characteristic of who the God that he follows. Not only, as we will see, the word God Almighty in the original language means El Shaddai. It means the one who provides or sustains someone. And that's how he revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am, I am your provider, and I sustain life. That's who he revealed himself to them. Now to Moses, he takes it even to a deeper level, and he says, I am the Lord. Not only am I the a provider, not only am I a sustainer, but I am a covenant keeper. See, that's another level of a characteristic of God. He reveals himself to Moses and Aaron and his people. Because the patriarchs certainly knew him. We know that the patriarchs knew who the name Yahweh is because we read it in, when we studied Genesis. We saw the name Yahweh 160 times. So they knew who El Shaddai, Shaddai is, God Almighty is. But now we see that God's going to take him to the point of, yes, the, the, the patriarchs knew God as the maker of the covenant. He's the one who gave the covenant. But Moses and the generation here in Exodus and beyond will not only know that God is the maker of the covenant, but he is going to reveal himself as the one who fulfilled the covenant. Knowing and then seeing it actually played out. And he says, I have remembered my covenant. It's not like he forgot it. He's now bringing it back to light. He says, now it's time for you to see what I've been promising your forefathers, watch this play out. And what happens is he now established his covenant and he promised them to give them the land of Canaan, the promised land. Now, we see it written, right? You're, you're reading it verse by verse. You see that. The land of Canaan, the promised land, Israel today. Why is it so difficult for people to believe that God said what he said? He says, I am and I will give the promised land, Israel, to my people. So why is there a peace plan or why is there any plan or why is there any confrontation that says, God didn't give the Israelites Israel. <laughs> it's right there. I don't care if you're Iran or Iraq or Turkey or Russia or Libya or Ethiopia. They say the Jews were never in that land and that land is not theirs. That's just plain foolishness. Why? Because God said from the very beginning, that is my people, that is my land for my people, and it will happen regardless of what you think or what you feel or any of the false teaching or any of Satan's enemies saying that that is not to happen. It's going to happen. Why? Because I am and I will. And it's going to play out and always in God's favor. And then what happens? Verse 6. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, 
and I will rescue from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be, be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Now I don't know about you, but when I read this, this these key verses, these verses 6 to 8, is the key verses for the entire Bible or the entire book of the book of Exodus. I mentioned that in the very first teaching in the introduction. These are the key verses. Why? Because seven promises God gives his people are laid out right here. I will bring you out. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you as an heritage. So seven promises of I will. That God gave to Moses, Aaron, and to the people. Now, can you imagine if you're Moses? That God's called you to go and rescue his people and bring them out of, that, out of Egypt and take them to the land of, uh, of Canaan. Can you imagine if you took the pressure of ministry on your shoulders and thought it all revolved around you and your ability to do all of that work? Can Moses bring two to three million people out as a single man? Could he rescue from their bondage of the most powerful man, Pharaoh, and all the most powerful army? Do you think that one man and his, his, his older brother of three by three years is going to be able to go take these people out in front of this, the army? Can you imagine if God called you to go do this and you're supposed to redeem these people? How are you going to redeem these people? See, in the ministry, God's called you just to be part of and let him work through your life. You don't have the responsibility to do that work. He does the work through you. He's the one that takes on the responsibility. And God says that to you and I today as we minister and do what God's called us to do in the ministry. I will do this through you. Just be obedient to do your part that I've asked you to commanded you to do. Talk, go, give a glass of water, feed the hungry, share the gospel. I mean, there's things that God gives and empowers us to go do for him. Why he works through us? <laughs> Sometimes I have to ask myself, why would God work through us to lead people to him? It is amazing, right? Wouldn't the angels be a better job at doing that? No. Remember, there was fallen angels too, you know. They were rebellious angels as well. So we see here, God, in, and if you look at the Hebrew text here of those I wills, it's in the past perfect tense. It's not in the future tense. It's past perfect tense, which means it's already happened. It's already a certainty of God accomplishing exactly all seven I wills. They're complete. You're just, you and I are just seeing it played out. But in God's eyes and his plans, it's already, in, already happened. And we get to watch how God um, unfolds, unfolds what he's going to do. Even with Satan coming against, even with people and you and I who fall short and are not faithful to do what God's called you to do and you're not willing to do it, 
And you come up with all kinds of excuses like Moses. And God comes back and says, no, no, no. We can still work with that. Oh, no, no, we can still work with that. No, no, we can still work with your shortcomings. No, no, no problem. We'll keep doing this. I'm going to do the work anyway. And of course, Satan does exactly what he always does. He tries to counterfeit what God has already done. God gave seven, a complete list of I wills here. We'll see in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 through 15, Satan gives the same kind of I will statements. There are five of them, though. And none of them came true. None of them. And that's how Satan works. He tries to, to, to deceive with uh, pretending to be light, but he's not. And it will not come to pass. And God is more able to fill his promises than Satan will ever fulfill his. And so what happens in verse 9? So Moses spoke this to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So, you know, Moses did exactly what God called him to do. Go back to Israel, back to the people. Let them know what I reminded them, what I just told you. Go back and tell them, you're going to be free. You're coming out of here. Get ready. We're moving to going to the desert. But guess what happens? Was he received with open arms? No. They would not heed. They would not listen to him. Why? Because we see, Roy, because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They became anguish of spirit. It means a broken spirit, a broken heart has happened to these people. Why? Because they, were, they were, had that promise and then all of a sudden Pharaoh came back and just bam. Just knock them back down because now you're going to work harder and know you're not leaving. And they said, we're not going to be free from this bondage. We're going to have to be in pain and suffering and in this situation the rest of my life. This is terrible. And someone can, can become anguish of spirit when you're broken and you see no hope of how you're going to get out of the situation. You're, you see no hope of how things are going to change. You can become anguish of spirit. And certainly through the cruel bondage, especially if you feel like you're in bondage and you can't be free. But notice, this, this inward pressure that's built up in the people of Israel there in Egypt, they're causing this deep anguish. It's like a child who doesn't get their way many times. A, a child who you know, starts just anguish because they got hurt or they didn't get their way and they just start absolutely sobbing and gasping for breath and you just can't even get a breath. I remember the girls, they get situation, they're having a total meltdowns and, and you can't even, they're turning red and you know, it's like the children's ministry. The kids are just going crazy. They can't even breathe. Kathleen used to look at the girls and breathe, breathe. You need to calm down, breathe. Blowing their face to get them to get somehow stop and take a deep breath because you're starting to turn color on me here. That's anguish of spirit. You need to breathe. But somebody are so broken because of their situation in life, because they're in such bondage because of the sin that they live in. When you share the hope of God, show the promises of God to them, show that there's a way out of their situation, they don't receive it. They can't receive it. They're, they're just so depressed and down into the miry darkness of the situation and anguish, they cannot receive any light of possible hope. 
And let me reassure you, my brothers and sisters, don't give up hope if they, don't, if they reject your help or they reject the promises of God that you want to share with them. Because eventually what you're doing is you're helping to plow up the, the ground and you're planting the seeds and you're watering. And eventually you'll see growth that someone can have hope that this God's promises does apply to you, does apply to them. And that, that God's promises will come to fruition because it's God's promises. And you know he is, I am and I will help you through this dark valley. You know, see, many times when you find yourself in deep trouble, we have a tendency to reach out to man, someone we know that's closest to us or some expert or someone who thinks they know it all because you read their book or you saw their blogging or whatever it is you've turned to, to and you've turned to man to help you solve your problems. And those people could not help you You've completely, they have, they have, there's no help there. And you've turned everyone to anyone you can think of that could help you, and they're not help, been able to help you. What do you do? Because what happens is that's when this, this sense of, of, of this hopelessness can settle in your heart because you've relied upon man or your own wisdom and your own knowledge to try to solve the problem. But if you come to him, the great I am, he will be there for you. He will walk you through the valley. And you will come out the other end. But you have to step, you have to keep taking the steps of faith with him. He'll even carry you if you let him. He'll carry you through it. But see, the people, they were fixed on because of their anguish and their, their challenges that they're de dealing with and struggling because their minds were just ravaged by the situation at hand. Paul kind of recognized this and spoke to this in Romans 12, verse 1, through, 1 and 2. It says, Paul says, you must not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Israelites needed their minds to be renewed by the word of God. You want to help someone? Keep giving them the word of God because the word of God is what transforms a person's mind. To help them to see how God sees the situation and what God what gives direction of how to walk you out of the situation. And we have a little bit even more in depth by the scriptures of why they rejected what Moses came back to tell them what God said. We see it in Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 5 through 9. It shows why God was, this, was so small in the minds of the Israelites and why Pharaoh seemed to be so big and prominent and controlling of their lives. Because what happened is Ezekiel explained that they trusted the gods of their oppressors. They trusted those gods of oppressors. They worshipped the gods of the Egyptians. 
This is why they didn't trust God of the Bible. That's why they didn't trust the God that Moses was bringing as a messenger to say the words. That's why they rejected because they've been living in this world of Egyptian world for so long. Living their ways, watching their ways, seeing how they live, they could not see the truth. The scripture re refers to it sometimes as you've been bewitched. You used to know the truth. Now you've been bewitched by someone you've been listening to. And now you're clouded. You can't even receive the truth of God anymore because you, they've distorted it on you. and They've twisted the truth on you. Now you don't even know the truth from, the, what, from falsehood. And unfortunately, when people are in that so long, so, so far, they could not see the truth and believe the truth that Moses was speaking. They could only believe what they were experiencing firsthand by sight, and that's how the Egyptians and who they worshipped. And they couldn't come out of that at that point in time. But verse 10, And the Lord spoke to Moses. Now here the Lord's come back to Moses and says, Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of, the, uh, out of his hand. Okay? You went and talked to the Israelites. They have heard it. Now you're going to go back to Pharaoh, and you're going to go in, and you're going to tell them exactly what I said. And don't forget the signs we will see. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. <laughs> How then shall Pharaoh heed me, for I am an uncircumcised lips? He's like, wait a minute. God, I hear what you're telling me, but I just went to talk to these, these Israelites, and they did not take and heed me. They did not accept it. They rejected me. I'm a rejected person. They're not, they're not accepting me in the ministry as, as a leader. No way. They're not doing it. So how can I go into Pharaoh and say the same thing? This man is just going to have me for lunch. But notice, if you remember, the first time this happened, what was the excuse that he gave God why he couldn't go to Pharaoh? I couldn't speak what? Eloquently. And God anticipated. You know, remember that? If you remember the scripture, go back and read it later today. Remember, God anticipated. He had already sent Aaron on his way to see Moses. And when he made that statement, he says, Yeah, oh, your brother Aaron, he's on his way. We'll use him. God had already known he was going to use this excuse. And he, made, he brought Aaron to help make this continue to move forward. Here is not, he's not saying that he was uneloquent. He's saying that I am uncircumcised lips, meaning I am fleshly in my, my life. I am unclean. I am unworthy to do this for you, God. There's no, I am unworthy. Don't even call me to do this because I am, I'm a sinful man and I just know it. That's what he's saying. But what does God say to this? How does he respond? Verse 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a command for the children of Israel and for the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God didn't even, even respond to his statement there of uncircumcised lips. Moses, Aaron, Come on, let's go. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to go tell him exactly what I told him to do. You're not going to get out of this. It's not going to happen. I love God. Well, sometimes he'll, he's so patient. He's so merciful to us. His grace is so unending for us because of our disobedience and, and 
rebellious state that we can be in so many times. I'm not willing to change. But what happens? Even though Moses wanted to quit after that first setback with the, 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 the Pharaoh, wanted to just wallow in his defeat, uncertainty in his mind, The fact that he didn't do it complete and it's already done and why isn't everything going so smoothly in the ministry here with getting him out of the Egypt? But God was doing a work in his life. You know it's God doing a work in someone's life when you know his calling, you know you've got clear direction of what you're supposed to do, He's giving you the ability, the strength, and everything to go do it. But it didn't work. That means that God is using that situation to test you and to refine you for a bigger work. And that's exactly what was happening here. Because he was going to be rejected. He is going to be tested. He is going to be challenged. He's going to go through these and the, the fears. Why? Because he had to be refined so that he would be able to endure the next 40 years in the desert. Moses didn't know it was going to be 40 years. And thank God he didn't tell him it was going to be 40 years wandering in the wilderness. It wasn't supposed to, but we also know that God knew that he was going to do what he's going to do in the, in the, in the uh, desert as well. But God was preparing him for this work. Now, this next section here that we pick up here in verse 14, all the way through here, 27, I'm not going to read every single name. You don't want me to do that. But we're going to hand, I'm going to highlight some of the key things, the structure of this, because if we take a little thing, because God brings back to you and I as the reader, but to certainly to Moses and Aaron and those who were reading this at the time, through the century here, is that the family and the family tree is very important at that point in time, because it really depicts who Moses really is and Aaron. Because if, if I come to you today and say, tell me about your life or tell me about you, you will sit there today and you will sit there and talk about you. This is what I do for a living. This is me I went to school. This is my hobby. And it will, you'll just stay focused on what you're describing yourself. But not in those days. When you ask someone, tell me about you, they always took you back to their family tree. My father is, is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. <laughs> and you take them through your family tree of history and your foundation of who you're based upon. How you were raised. What were the values and what was brought into your life that made you today? And so this section right here, we see in verse 14, they are the heads of their father's houses. We're going to see him, the scripture here, highlight three children of Jacob's, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And we see in verse 14, we see the sons of Reuben, and you can read them. Verse 15, you see the sons of Simeon. You can read them. Verse 16, you see the sons of Levi. Now we're going to look at this one because this is the priestly line. This is the line that we see Moses and Aaron and Miriam comes from. 
So look as you continue here. We see that he had three sons, Gershon, Gohath, and Merai. And the years of the life of Levi was 137 years. And the sons of Gershon, you can see them there. The sons of Kohath, notice, were Amram, Ishhar, Hebron, and Uzel. The key name there is Am Amram. Amram. Because we're going to see that is the father lineage for who? Moses and Aaron. We're going to see that here as we continue down here in verse 20. We notice that now Amram took for himself Jochebed. Remember that? We read that earlier. Jochebed, his father's sister, his wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. That means Jochebed was Aunt Jochebed. Because back then, you didn't have a problem intermarrying. That we, because it wasn't until later the law came out that the law says you cannot marry a relative. But at this point in time, the, the gene pool was still pure enough that it didn't cause problems and, uh, with, with births. But then God puts in place the law that says you cannot intermarry. Uh, someone with, uh, with a relative because of the gene pool. He's protecting uh, the, uh, the challenges with the gene pool when people get married. But we see here that the years of the life of Amram, their father, was 137 years. And then we continue down through in 21, 22, we see the sons of Ishar, the sons of Uzel, and then we continue that Aaron took, and then it's going to now siphon off here and focus in on Aaron's uh, lineage there that uh, Aaron took to himself, Elishaba, uh, uh, the daughter of Ammonab, Ammonadab, Ammonadab, sister, it goes on and on. You know what I'm saying? But notice in verse 24, the sons of Korah. This will be important because this is the, where the Korahites come from. And then we see Eliezer, Aaron's son, took in verse 25, took for himself one of the daughters of Putel as, as wife, and she bore him uh, Phineas, which will be important later on in the scriptures. And as we continue now, verse 26, 20 says, Now this is the Aaron and Moses. This is the Lord. This is the, brings out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to the army. These are who God is using to do God's work. So that's what that family tree is. Who, what makes up Moses and Aaron to be someone special to be used by God to do the work of God? Well, we just have the family tree. He has a, quite the lineage, doesn't he? Coming all the way back from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the way through even the Levi as the priestly lineage through Aaron. All of this is all played out based on what God is going to do here. And we know that as we take a look, especially the sons of Korah, the cousins to Moses and Aaron, their father Korah was Moses' uncle, is going to be significant play out because we're going to see that played out in Numbers chapter 16. They become very significant in our story. Now, back into the verse 28. And it came to pass, on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? Okay, there comes excuse. 
I am unclean, unworthy, don't use me. Who is Pharaoh going to look at me? I'm nothing. Not going to happen. Another excuse, but what happens? God doesn't listen to that. He goes beyond these feelings that, Mo- that Moses are feeling. I, I feel really insecure. I feel really unadequ- inadequate. I feel untrained, un- blah, 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 that we sometimes will do by not wanting to do what God's called you to do. But God's not going to listen to it. He's going to bring you around to this as he does with Moses. Now look at chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. So God, in his merciful ways, showing tremendous mercy on Moses' life of rebellion of saying, No, I can't do this. He's patient with them. I know you don't feel like you want to change, but you're going to change. And so what we see here is God shows this patience to Moses to bring him to a point where he will accept what God is going to do in and through his life if he's just willing to bend and willing to to move in the direction that God's calling him to do. And he says, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has rejected me. If you remember back in chapter 5, verse 2, where Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and to let Israel go? Based on that, Moses, you're going to be like God to him. Because he's not listening, he's not, he can't accept by faith what you're saying. So you're going to be like God because I'm going to give you words and I'm going to give you the power to do miracles that will be blow their mind. And he's going to look at you like you are a God to him. And your brother Aaron, he's going to be a prophet because he is going to speak the words that you give him to speak. It's just like you and I. If God gives you word from his word to speak to someone else, it's, it's you're like a prophet. You're speaking God's word to someone. That's exactly what Aaron's going about to do. And see what happens? He's going to share them. He's going to command them to go do it, and you're going to need to do it. So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. So your brother's like a prophet. You need to go out, and you need to do what I ask you to do and command you to do. And so verse 3, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. So you're going to go, and it's going to be just as hard as it was the first time. Just as Pharaoh's going to reject you just like the first time. And it's all part of my plan to get him prepared to not only release my people, but he'll drive them out. And I'm going to do that by my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And, and Pharaoh is just revealing his true heart. Some people struggle with this conversation when we read this. How could God harden the heart of someone? But he doesn't harden the heart. What he does is he reveals the rebellious, the hardened heart of a person who's already set in their ways. They're not willing to change. God isn't going to force you to follow him and to be obedient. He's going to turn up the heat. He'll do whatever he can to try to get you to t- But at some point, you're going to have your way. You're going to have your way. We see the warning. 
for everybody. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24 and 28, write this down because this will scare anyone who is not willing to change. It says, Therefore God also gave them up to their uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. That is a sobering verses. When God keeps trying to get your attention, but you're not willing to listen to his word. That you want the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, and your pride of life, the uncleanliness. You want to live your life however you want to live, even if it's contrary to the word of God. And you are keep saying no, 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 no to the spirit of God. You're grieving the spirit and to a point where God will say, fine, I will turn you over to your debased mind. You can have your life however you want it. That is a point of no return. Do, do you know that? when God has turned you over to your debased mind. That's where Pharaoh was. God tried and sent, but he knew his debased mind was not going to, to respond except through pressure to force them out because it, the pressure was too great, <laughs> as we will see with, with plagues. Verse 4, but Pharaoh will not heed you. So that I, will, that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people and the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them, then Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So here's a couple of guys that God put a calling on their lives to do a great work for God according to his way, and it wasn't going smoothly. But it was going exactly the way God said it was going to go. Now, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. These guys, you would think, 80 and 83, that's retirement age. <laughs> shouldn't they, be, <laughs> they shouldn't be leading two to three million people out into the desert. But remember, their life expectancy was much longer, if you remember. So their 80 and 83 ages is more like 45 and 47 of age today. So here's a kind of a middle-aged guys being called by God to go do a great work. And they did it. They were obedient by the voice of God, God showed up in, their, in, in front of them many times, speaking to them directly, and they did it. And God, and then God warned them exactly how it was all going to play out. Pharaoh was not going to heed their voice. But look at this in verse 8. Then the Lord uh, spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourself. Then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So we're going to see the Egyptians were all about miracles, signs, and wonders. That's how they lived because they had multiple gods and they trusted in these signs and wonders that, that somehow their gods were working in their lives, accomplishing and doing what they needed to do. But be very careful 
We will see. God told them this was going to happen, did they not? Remember, he spoke to Moses and said, throw your, your rod down and it turned into a serpent, remember? Pick it back up by its tail, remember? But notice here the change. It wasn't Moses throwing his rod down. Who threw his rod down? Aaron. Aaron threw his rod down. And in the original Hebrew language here, the word for serpent under Moses' time when he was on the mountain there and God was showing him throw your uh, rod down is a different Hebrew word than the one uh, Aaron is throwing his rod down. That word in the Hebrew is a different uh, word. And if it translated, it means a very large or cobra-like serpent. Some translators think it means crocodile. Either one of those, whatever you want to be, I lean toward a very large cobra. Why? Because, as we will see in the plagues, every single plague is exactly planned out very strategically to deal with each and every god deity that uh, the Egyptians worshipped. These were not some, when we get to the ten plagues, they weren't like, mm, try this one, Moses. Let's see if that works. Oh, man, that didn't work. What am I going to do now? Oh, try this one. Let's, let's have fun with this one. That's not how God works. You know, he's very strategic and very orderly. He's a decent order manner kind of. He doesn't go, you know, anyway, I won't go on a tangent. So, so I believe this is the cobra. Why? Because in the Egyptian time, cobra was worshipped and seen as power in the Egyptian world. If you go back and look at any artifacts, what do you see on their crowns and other things? A big cobra head, right? Showing power. So what happens? I love the story. Isn't this great? Doesn't it make you want to just continue to read the word of God? It's just amazing when you read this. So what happens here? So where did I leave off here? He won't heed you, blah, blah, blah. Oh, right there. Verse, uh, verse 9. So at the very end, right? And let, and, and, and let it become a serpent. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. See, they didn't add or delete from the scripture, or from the word of God. They did exactly what God said to them. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, before his servants, and it became what? A serpent. Did exactly what he was going to do. Even though it didn't work last time, or it wasn't seemed to be working in anything, and nothing else was working, they were still willing to do it. They followed through with the commandment that God told them to do. They were just being faithful, and it was up to the consequences of the, the outcome. is all in God's hand. What happens? You would think Pharaoh go, whoa, what is happening here? Take it away. Pick it back up. Get rid of it. I don't want that around me. No, no, no. What happens? Verse 11. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the Egyptians, uh, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did in like manner with their enchantments, for every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. Hold there. Picture it. We have no idea how many wise men, magicians, we don't know how many sorcerers came into the room, but I can imagine there was a lot of them. Right? I don't care if it's two or more, right? Men, plural. It doesn't matter. They took their rods, they did their little demonic enchantments, 
because that's what it is, demonic forces at, at work here, demonic enchantments, and causes their rods to turn into what? Serpents as well. Like manner. That's what it says. Also did in like manner. What was the outcome? Look at that. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Can you imagine that scene? <laughs> one against many. <laughs> the one that Aaron's rod was a, I believe, a cobra serpent. Something they worshipped. Something the power they showed it was represented power. Just gobbled up all of their wise men, sorcerers, and magicians. Their stuff, they had no power compared to God's, Moses and Aaron's God. Now, can you imagine the, in the mind of Pharaoh who thinks he knows it all and he's all powerful and he's like a God? And he gets those, these guys in here and Satan shows up for these guys and actually follows through and allows them to show a miracle or a sign back to them. And God says, they ain't going to cut it. I'm still more powerful than anything you have to throw at me. I'm going to gobble them up. I eat them for lunch. Now it's interesting. Even with all these, these Egyptian magicians and these dark demonic powers that they were able to reveal, miracles, or at least apparent miracles, are part of Satan's arsenal. Did you know that? Paul wrote on this topic, if you remember, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved. Both Moses and Aaron and these magicians and sorcerers and wise men both showed miracles, did they not? They showed supernatural things just took place. There was no question it was supernatural. But what you have to understand, that doesn't prove that it's true. Just because it's a miracle, just because there's an experience, you must balance that. Is it true? Why? Because not all miracles are from God. It could be from Satan. That's why at the end times, people are going to be led away from the truth of God because they'll be following what? Signs and wonders and miracles. They're going to be looking for the next experience, some, some entertainment thing that, that makes them all feel goosebumpy. And if you watch the news, you've seen it played out with some very specific churches that are following this new reformation, new apostolic reformation. And it's satanic. From my point of view, it is not grounded in truth. And so you have to be aware of what is happening, my brothers and sisters, because signs and wonders and miracles are going to become more prevalent in the church world that we're going to be watching. It's a sign of the end times. And we must be on guard. Because not all miracles are from God. 
and we must test all things. So what happens here? As we finish the scripture here, and we see that Pharaoh's heart now is 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 is, is, is heart is grew hard, and, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. We see that now everything is all lined up. Everyone in the, in, the, in the play is all prepared for what God is going to reveal his power and might and through the plagues. Pharaoh's heart is just ready to it's gonna get rid of them. Moses is all set. Aaron is all set. The Israel, Israel people is all set. Everything's going to play out for the next incredible thing that God is going to do. He says, I am and I will bring my people out into the, to the promised land. And it's going to happen. And we're going to see this, Lord willing, next week, as we pick back up in, in verse uh, 14. I hope you come back to catch the rest of the read ahead. Read ahead so that when God sits here and speaks to you, he's going to bring even more clarity to you uh, before that.